Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. On Commons People This Week. This never should have been the case, and I will do whatever it takes to put it right. A new face in the home office. But will anything change? However, tragically, there are likely to be some people in this group who would have been alive today if the failure had not happened. A computer error which could have been fatal for hundreds of women. The speaker responded in a way that I can only say is a, is a form of bullying. And is it time up for John Burko? All of this and more on Commons People. Hello and welcome to Commons People, HuffPost UK's politics podcast with me, Owen Bennett. And this week I'm joined by Rachel Wearmouth. Hello, Rachel. Hi, Owen. Hi. Hello, hello. You're right. <laughs> I am joined by uh, Kate Forrester. Hello. Who's got a bit of cabbage stuck in her teeth. It's really annoying. And we're joined by Paul War. Hello, Paul. I haven't got any cabbage stuck in my teeth. No. That's my only main qualification in for fact, today. <laughs> no cabbage on Paul. Anyway, let's crack on, shall we, on what was a very busy week. Yes, us internet journalists got to smirk at our dead tree press colleagues on Sunday when Amber Rudd's resignation was announced after most of the next day's front pages had already been written. After a weekend spent going through Home Office documents, Rudd couldn't quite be certain that no more papers would emerge showing that she knew about deportation targets and eventually fell on her, or maybe Theresa May's, sword. Sajid Javid was announced as her replacement on Monday, and here he is in the Commons just a few hours into the job, seemingly going against the language used by his predecessor, but one, Theresa May. The, the phrase hostile is a phrase that I, I'm, I'm not going to use. It's a compliant environment. I don't like the phrase hostile, so the terminology I think is incorrect, and uh, I think that it is a phrase uh, that is, um, that is uh, unhelpful, and it doesn't represent our values as a country to use that phrase. So it's about a compliant environment. Labour's David Lammy wasn't impressed by the apparent shift in language. Here he is on Wednesday. And the Windrush community and its ancestors know what hostile and compliance means. We know what compliance means. It's written deep into our souls and passed down from our ancestors. Slaves having to nod and smile when they were being whipped in a cotton field or a sugarcane field were compliant. Watching your partner being tied to a tree, beaten or raped on a plantation is compliance. 12 million people being transported as slaves from Africa to the colonies is a compliant environment. So new man in the job. Uh, the Tories yesterday or Wednesday successfully voted against a load of papers covering Theresa May's time in the Home Office being released, all to do with Windrush. Um, Theresa May's announced there's going to be a review of it. Has Theresa May kind of escaped now? Has Amber Rudd's resignation kind of brought this all to a head? Well, no, I don't think she has escaped because we let's wait and see what this internal Home Office review comes up with. That's one of the things that, you know, the government tried to outflank Labour slightly on this whole issue of having to publish the documents and what happened really happened behind the scenes in Windrush. Um, now, at the weekend, the government uh, was saying 
when asked why haven't you got an ordering an independent inquiry, they were saying, well, you know, you can't do two things at once. We really want to help these people fix the problem. That's the most important thing. We can't waste time on a, a reviewer and an internal look at what went wrong. That, of course, was proved to be nonsense because they do have time. They're going to do a review themselves. The big question is, though, why isn't it independent? Um, Javid came out of this line that there was he was going to look at lessons learned, independent oversight, and external challenge. He's going to review all of those things. Now, that sounds like they, they're tempted to slightly blame the watchdogs for not finding out what they're up to. Um, but I hope it's not that. And maybe, maybe there'll be pressure on them to actually publish some detail. With um, Sajid Javid in post now, the Labour have kind of got their scalp. Kate, do you think the Labour are going to keep calling for Theresa May to resign? That was one of the things which John McDonald's called for on a few Labour backbenches. Obviously, it's not going to happen, but can they keep up this kind of frenzied level? Or do you think the public feel that, no, Amber Rudd's gone, let's actually get back to the process of it? Um, No, I do think it's going to run further. Um, Next week, I think Home Affairs Select Committee have got... Um, an inquiry into immigration detention. And obviously there's a lot of Windrush stuff wrapped up in that. Lots of people who should never have been detained, who were here legally, who were um, who found themselves in detention um, after they were unable to access their papers and things. So I think it's going to keep her in its head for weeks to come. And I think Labour will definitely keep the pressure on. They'd be daft not to, really. And it does seem that by Theresa May ordering her MP... I mean, we, since the election... On opposition day debates, the Tories haven't taken part. They've decided not to do it. And that was how we got the Brexit papers, wasn't it, last year? Because the Tories just didn't take part in this um, motion that Labour put down. And then on Wednesday, they said, no, we're going to take part in this one. We're going we're gonna to stop them. I mean, that, Rachel, makes you think there is somewhere a bit of paper where Theresa May has made some comment about Windrush or something and it's not going to look good for her. Well, of course there is. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> they're, they're just, I don't think they're going to be able to escape this at all. And I think it's not just about... Um, Windrush Britons. I think it's changed. The whole story has changed the debate entirely about how the Home Office treats people generally as individuals. So even if um, there are no more Windrush stories to emerge, there'll be um, other groups that have been treated badly and questions will continue to arise about them, I think. I was talking to a a Brexiteer Tory MP this week um, who said they felt like this had really changed the dialogue and the narrative and the atmosphere around the immigration debate. When I mean, you look at the poll, I think YouGov did a survey, and most people still favour the kind of hostile environment. They still think that illegal immigrants should be subject to hostile environments. So actually, has this? are we in Westminster thinking this has changed things? And actually, out in the country, the good listeners of this podcast might think, no, it's not really changed anything. It just shows that the process was wrong, but actually the policy itself was right. I think the argument that's been made is that if you put a human face to the kind of immigration story... People are then people who are kind of generally anti-immigrant are then like, oh no 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 not that not those people like they're okay, as we saw with the Windrush thing, and I think you, we might have mentioned this a couple of weeks ago even previously. Um, so I think I think it is right to say that it's kind of changed the narrative in that way, but more broadly, I think it's daft to suggest that people will have completely changed their minds on immigration. I mean, Britain's largely or the electorate largely does want a kind of robust policy on immigration i don't think that's i don't think that's changed still yeah and i think that was what was wrong wasn't it that they were they they clearly conflated both different bits of policy you know they they the danger was that in trying to be robust about um deportations and targets and you know trying to look tough that they'd just forgotten the discretion they'd forgotten the fact that there was this whole group of people who didn't have the documents that they were demanded of them um 
And I think people will draw a lot of parallels between um, how the Home Office is treating people and how um, the DWP has treated people. Uh, that there's this, people are starting, the government and how government bodies behave, they're starting to forget the individual and their story and the discretion. Yeah, and I do think actually, I still think it is, and I, do, I very rarely say things like this, I do think it's outrageous that there isn't an independent inquiry into this. You know, this is genuine hurt, genuine um, um, miscarriage of justice almost for so many people. And, that, and yet the government is trying to treat it all in one box to protect themselves. Why can't they have an independent inquiry? I just, you can't have an independent inquiry, judge-led inquiry, into the culture of the House of Commons uh, and whether or not there's harassment and bullying. So that the, the government's happy with that. Why isn't it having a judge-led inquiry into this? And, you know, we should go wherever the evidence leads it. And that would be the, an act of really proper leadership by the Prime Minister. Do you I think, think it's because she knows or was I don't think it... I, who knows? We don't know. Up, we don't know. But, but it allows those questions but to I, be asked, doesn't but it? But I think, actually, it. as a Prime Minister, even if she did suspect that she'd signed or seen some email that was incriminating, true leadership... She's prime minister of the country. She's not just a Tory party leader. Truly, that, really. to, to show you know the the due debt to repay that debt of honour to those people. You would say, right, okay, I might actually this might be really uncomfortable for me, but we should find out what really happened. And it might be that she wins some plaudits for being so open and saying, look, yeah, I'll let the evidence go where it, where it wants, and she might get criticised. It's almost impossible to think that she'd have to quit as a result of it. Prime Ministers don't quit over single policy issues. They never do. It has to be, you know, something very, very serious where the electorate, you know, they're not like a normal cabinet minister. She's not a home secretary. Um, So she's not going to quit over Windrush, but she might get some credit back by being honest and saying, look, I'm not just sorry, but I am to blame. Um, the The new person, the new home secretary, Sajid Jabbar, is someone who's been marked for the top for a long time, because his backstory—it's not traditional conservative backstory, is it? You know, he's a son of a son of a Pakistani bus driver. Where have we heard that before? And um, he grew up in sort of, you know, sort of quite poor circumstances. He was born in Rochdale. Born in Rochdale. I mean, lived you, in... Don't, you don't get, you know, more working class. No, than we that. we try and keep these people out of politics, mainly. <laughs> don't we? Uh, and then he grew up in a two-bedroom house with his five brothers in Bristol. Four, sorry, in Bristol. So he comes from a non-typical Tory background, right? So people have always talked him up. Um, what are we making? Because I've always thought that he seems to have a lot of good ideas, but I've always thought his presentation actually wasn't that good. He's quite stilted. He's not an amazing parliamentary performer. I thought this week in the Commons was one of his better ones. But when I've seen him before in the Commons, he's actually, he stumbles over his words a lot. He doesn't seem quite sure. He can't do jokes. He can't do jokes. It would fit him well here, wouldn't he? And neither well, can yeah. Gavin Williamson. <laughs> well, no. he's not going to be next leader either. Well, he wants to be though, doesn't he? I mean, this is well, the point. Are we going to see Sag v. Gav then for the next... Sag v. Gav. You coined God. it here, right <laughs> now. <laughs> Imagine that, Jesus. But the thing is, you're right. right. I mean, Sag Javid has been traditionally utterly, awfully wooden on the broadcasters, in the chamber. And it shows that, you know, politics is a hard old game. You've got to not just have the ideas and the passion and the leadership. You've got to deliver in terms of the oratory, in terms of how convincing you are. Inspired, believe me, you've got to make me want to go to the but polling one, booth for but you. But one thing that has been interesting, and let's not forget, he and Amber Rudd alike only became MPs in 2010. You know, it's easy to forget this stuff. How something, it's a hard old trade to learn. And if you've not been a local councillor, as not very few of them have been, they haven't learned the ropes in a council chamber meeting. So they don't know what to do. And so, in a way, well, I'm well, not Theresa surprised. Well, Theresa May did, didn't she? Theresa May and yeah. Farron, both local councillors. But I'm not surprised it's to, is, people like um, Sajid Javid aren't that good at it. 
what's interesting is why, as young MPs, they're, they're over-promoted, maybe. Instead of... Look at David Lamb. He's a very good example. He was over-promoted very early on. Mm. Now he's found his stride. He's found his voice. And I think Sajid Javid, actually, is very similar. I think over the housing uh, and Grenfell, he found his voice. He, he was prepared to be a bit more sparky. He knew that Theresa May, crucial fact this, Theresa May wanted to sack him if she'd won a massive landslide. Mm. When you know that kind of thing, you're a bit more ballsy about, well, you know, I don't owe her anything. And that's why he's been more ballsy since then. I think there are a lot of questions still to be answered about um, Sajid Javid. I think um, when he was communities and local government secretary, he sent something like 300 million back to the treasury that he should have been spending on housing. That's the, the biggest crisis facing the country. Um, there was also a lot of questions over how he dealt with Grenfell. Um, one of his first responses, perhaps a little bit similar to um, how he's came in as home secretary, um, he went to the, the local government association conference and told them that um, they had questions to answer and they had to win back the public trust. And I remember uh, Nick Forbes at the time, the, the Labour um, chair of the local government association saying that it went down like a cup of cold sick and they even had Lord Porter, the um, Tory chair, um, kind of shaking the Labour politician's hand and saying, oh, at least someone's looking out for us. So he's got, he hasn't won over everyone in his party, I don't think. And don't forget, he's an ally or a protégé of George Osborne, who was notoriously bad and tin-eared at a lot of this stuff. You know, Osborne was actually quite good in the chamber sometimes, but boy, was he tin-eared on a lot of politics. And also what Javid did was he he sold himself as a Eurosceptic for a long time in the Tory party to try and cultivate popularity among the backbenchers. And then when it came to the referendum, he backed Remain, he was loyal to Osborne. And the Tory Brexiteer was saying to me this week, he spoke to him during the referendum and said, come on, Sad. You're on our side, really, aren't you? And Sadie was like, no, 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 I am completely signed up for Remain. There wasn't any kind of like, yeah, but I'm doing, you know, he was completely eulogising Remain. So I think a lot of people did feel, that's probably why he didn't throw his hat into the ring in the leadership election. Uh, should we do this week's quiz? Yes. Go on. Has Rachel? It got, has it got yes, a Sadge theme? Let's do it. Has it got a yeah, <laughs> bit more excited, please. <laughs> this week's quiz is called For Rudd's Sake. Here's another ruddy load of ruddy awful puns about the fact Amber Rudd's surname is Rudd. Help me. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Uh, and it? it's about the length of home secretaries. Not the length, not like how long they are, but how long they've been in office for, Paul. Right. Okay. What? I didn't listen. What? Amber Rudd was home secretary for 656 days. Mm. Were these home secretaries in office for less or more time? Okay. Oh, okay. 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 If it was less time, mm-hmm. fewer days. You are really concentrating on less or fewer there, aren't yeah. you? Mm-hmm. Oh, ruddy hell. hell. <laughs> okay. okay. Yeah. So fewer at ruddy hell. Fewer at ruddy hell. If it was more time... Ruddy impressive. Right. Okay. Okay. Alan Johnson. Was Alan Johnson Home Secretary for more or fewer days? Than than how many? 200 days, did you say? 656 days. 656. Ruddy hell, I think. Can you see my screen? No. Ruddy Uh, impressive, I think. You think it was was more? You think it was less? less. It was less. It was 341 days. Mm. Uh, Ken Clark. Ruddy impressive. Oh, I don't think he was Home Secretary very long. I'm going to say Ruddy Hell less. Ruddy I'm Hell. I'm Ruddy Hell. It was Ruddy Hell. It was 413 days from April the 10th, 92, to May the 27th, 93. He did so many jobs. Uh, Willie Whitelaw. Ooh. Every, every, every PM needs a Willie. That's what Margaret Thatcher said. Don't laugh, Rachel. That's, I know. A, that's, a, that's an historical quote, all right? My apologies. That's all right. How long was he Home Secretary? Well, Paul, that's the, is it, was it more than 656 six days? Come on, Kate. Oh. Come on, wake up. All right. 
Jesus. Uh, like you guys, I remember him being homeless. Home um, ruddy impressive. You think he was longer? Yeah. Right. I'm, I'm going to say ruddy hell because... He was fewer yeah. than, or less. <laughs> <laughs> Rachel? I'm copying off Paul. What did, what did Paul say? I've forgotten. He said ruddy hell. It was ruddy impressive. It yes. was 1,500 days. Wow. From 79 to 83. God, that's uh, a long time. Roy Jenkins. Oh, no. Oh, no, your hero. <laughs> yeah. um, I think you would have only, only picked him if it was really impressive. Well, you say that. Remember, he was Home Secretary twice, but I'm only going to take the first time he was Home Secretary. Ooh. All right? So you're not combining. Oh, I'm not right. combining. Interesting. Hmm. I'm going to say really impressive then. I'm going to go ruddy hell. Was the greatest Home Secretary you've ever had, Rachel? Was he longer or fewer than 656 days? I said really impressive. Uh, correct. It was 708 days. Wow. And finally, uh, Robert Carr, who I had never heard of until I <laughs> wikipedia Home Secretaries, but I can tell you he... Well... Uh, don't. It's going uh, to be ruddy hell because if you'd had to... Just as a thought process. It's going to be like to, three had days. To search. It was, this I'll tell you, it was ruddy hell. It was 595 days, so only 50 days less than Amber Rudd from 1972 to 74. Wow. So, Paul, do you know? I confess I've never heard yeah. of him. Like. Uh, other people who had less. Charles Clark, 507 <coughs> days. Jackie Smith had 709 days. She was longer. Charles Clark, a little bit of trivia. Go on. When he was fired by Tony Blair as, for very similar circumstances as Amber Rudd for some problem with uh, prisoners and, and, and foreigners, etc., and the Home Office was in a bit of a state, um, was in the Rose Garden. And Tony Blair said, right, I'm going to have to let you go as Home Secretary. And um, <coughs> he said, but, but I, I can offer you... Um, he said, I can offer you something else. And, and Clark said, I only want Foreign Secretary. If you don't give me Foreign Secretary, I'm walking. And he walked, because Blair couldn't give it him. Wow. Isn't that amazing? Like Justin Greening. <coughs> anyway, should we move on? There were sombre scenes in the Commons on Wednesday when Health Secretary Jeremy Hunt revealed a serious computer error in the NHS breast cancer screening programme. Hunt revealed an estimated 450,000 women aged between 68 and 71 were not invited to final screenings between 2009 and 2018. Of the estimated 450,000 women who miss the invitations, 309,000 are still alive. Here's Hunt in the Commons. Our current best estimate, which comes with caveats as it's based on statistical modelling rather than patient reviews, and because there is currently no clinical consensus about the benefits of screening for this age group, is that there may be between 135 and 270 women who had their lives shortened as a result. I'm advised that it is unlikely to be more than this range and may be considerably less. However, tragically, there are likely to be some people in this group who would have been alive today if the failure had not happened. All those living within the UK who are registered with a GP will be contacted about the error before the end of May, with the first 65,000 letters going out this week. Uh, women who have already received a terminal cancer diagnosis are likely to be among those to receive a letter informing them their screening appointment was missed, the House of Commons heard on Wednesday. I mean, this is a almost unbelievable story, isn't it? The, the computer glitch has meant as Hunt said, that up to 270 women perhaps who might still be alive now aren't because they weren't invited back for their final screenings. And I, I was quite surprised when this was announced. There hasn't been 
Why hasn't there been lots of calls for big inquiry, big investigation, whether Hunt should go? There's been none of that, has there? Why is why has it been? I think because strange? he was he rather shrewdly instantly ordered an investigation yeah. as soon as he found out, and um, and also the key thing here is that he had sort of cross-party backing from uh, Jonathan Ashworth, the Shadow Health Secretary. And I think that actually was the right thing to do because there was no need to sort of harangue the government. Not not all the facts were known. It's just, at this stage, tragic, a tragic accident. Um, Obviously, what will come later is who knew, whether it was covered up, how much earlier it could have been sorted out. So those questions obviously still remain. But the crucial bit as well is that... um, Hunt said this started in 2009 and at a stroke, Labour would have known, whoa, we were in power in 2009. Did any of us have anything to do with this? So it's a slight echoes of Windrush in that sense. And this was, um, I think, Public Health England are the body responsible for the screening, for overseeing it. And Hunt did say that one of the things you need to look into, slightly similar to Windrush, is was the oversight process there. Um, Kate, obviously, a lot of the papers on Thursday were running stories of people that have been affected by this will will this damage the government do you think or do you think people will kind of understand that computers can go wrong I know it's a weird thing to say but will it be will it just be another thing that's laid at the door of Jeremy Hunt I think that it's too early to tell at the moment because they've said that it was an algorithm error Um, but beyond that we don't know a huge amount more detail so I think depending on the outcome of this inquiry um, then we'll sort of get a clearer picture Um, But Jeremy Hunt did say yesterday in the Commons, he was very, very sombre. Obviously, the mood in the Commons was very sombre yesterday when he was delivering this statement. And all of the MPs on both sides were very quiet and obviously realised the gravity of it. Um, Public Health England first raised it with the government in January, he said. But they kept it out of the public domain because they were scared that the NHS would then be overwhelmed and the screening programme would then be overwhelmed with people who were worried, um, who were coming forward to demand scans and things you know as you obviously would um so i think once that's looked into more as you say and it's determined how the error came about and and who is responsible then we'll know more about whether the government's going to be blamed uh, Rachel, do you think there's going to be pressure one of the things that i've seen is suggestions that maybe women should be flown abroad for these screening now we can't get it done quick enough to really get these things through there should be a mass hiring of more staff is, is that the kind of thing that that perhaps could help the situation um, well, I'm not not too sure about that. I think, like Kit says, it's still a bit early to know just ex- exactly how many people are affected by this. Um, I think it was to Hunt's credit that he came out on the front foot and tried to deal with everything really head on early on. Um, my mum had breast cancer about 10 or 15 years ago and she's recovered. Um, and it was an incredibly difficult thing to go through. And I think it's to kind of both parties' credit that nobody's trying to play politics with it at this time. Um, because if your loved one met their death earlier than they should have, last thing you want is a politician on telly saying, you know, yeah. oh, it's it's his fault, it's their fault. Yeah, absolutely. You know? And that's why I think that, that um, this whole idea that it could be a computer glitch that got it wrong, it's an algorithm error, as they said, um, is the most worrying thing of all. Because you just think, what else have they got wrong? Yeah. What What else in this massive NHS bureaucracy have they not been sending out? And that is the really, really worrying thing, that this might not be a one-off. And, and, and that's what Hunt's got to do. He's got to make damn sure this review checks every other area of screening, every other area of public policy in the NHS and IT. Let's move on now. And there were further allegations about bullying by Speaker John Burko this week, his former private secretary, 
Angus Sinclair claimed he had been repeatedly bullied by the Speaker and was given an £86,000 payoff and told to sign a non-disclosure agreement to, quote, cover up his departure when he left in 2010. Here is Sinclair telling Newsnight about an incident involving Burko. There was a tirade of how I'd let him down. It was quite the worst thing, a lot of bad language. And suddenly his mobile phone, which he'd been holding, was was flung on the desk in, in front of me and it, you know, it broke into a lot of bits. And it was a, a pretty dramatic moment. Um, and he left the office shortly afterwards. Burko himself has repeatedly denied claims of bullying. Here he is in the Commons on Wednesday. I have a superb team of dedicated, effective and long-serving staff, five of whom have served me for a collective total of over 40 years. I'm also happy to confirm that the great majority of people who have left my service have done so on perfectly amicable terms. And as you record this, former Black Rod David Leakey has told Politics Home that Burko's, quote, explosive and intemperate behaviour is legendary, objectionable and unworthy of someone in such public office. There were lots of people who were, frankly, terrified of the Speaker. Now, this is not the first time we've had allegations of bullying involving John Burko. This is not the first time he's denied it. But there was a slight first this week, wasn't there, Paul, from Downing Street? Yeah, I mean, after PMQs, we have a weekly little huddle, as we call it, with the Prime Minister's spokesman, where we can discuss the things she might have said or not said. And um, when he was asked directly about the John Burko allegations on Newsnight, to our surprise, the number 10 spokesman came out with his first ever statement suggesting that Theresa May felt this should be this should be properly investigated. Now, Prime Ministers and Number 10 never normally get involved in this kind of stuff with the Speaker. It's always seen as very sensitive, you know, there's a you know, separation of powers thing going on, you know, it's not in their it's not their job to say tell the Speaker what to do. Far from it. But they were very careful to say that not only should it be properly investigated, they then in the afternoon lobby briefing came out with three different options how it should happen. So they'd obviously thought about it. It prompted two thoughts in my brain, and I'm not normally cynical. The first one was, is this a bit of red meat to throw to the Eurosceptic and Brexiteers who actually cross over in the Venn diagram with a lot of people who hate John Burkow? Um, and the second thought was, um, maybe that's uncharitable. Maybe the Prime Minister wants to get down in history as some a Prime Minister, a woman Prime Minister, who's actually really doing something about bullying and sexual harassment. Now, this is bullying, not sexual harassment, but maybe she does along with Andrea Leadsom, think it should be treated seriously. Is that one area where Andrea Leadsom has... She has. Her, to her credit, has really tried to push... Well, she's tried to, although, let's be honest, the it, it, it would be a lot uh, more defensible if the government had decided on the House of Commons Commission, which is the body that runs the House of Parliament, um, to have uh, an, an inquiry, an independent inquiry, that looks into specific allegations. It's not at the moment. So, that unfortunately, the government... And now throwing it back at the House authorities, saying, can you investigate? The House authorities saying, no, we can't. So it might end up in the lap of someone called the Parliamentary Commissioner of Standards. And whether or not she thinks if she gets a complaint, this is worth pursuing, we'll, we'll see. Burko is obviously a, he's a controversial figure. He, even though he was a, a Tory MP before he became Speaker, and he is, of course, now neutral, he is more popular with Labour MPs who think that he's been very generous to opposition. He's 
gets a lot of backbench involved. PNQ goes on for sometimes four or five days now while he gets every backbencher in the house to stand up. A lot of those MPs have read into his defence a little bit, haven't they? And have said, you know, I think Barry Sherman says something about the fact that, you know, this is people sort of trying to use this for political gains. Isn't that extraordinary? Surely, I thought we lived in the age where we, you know, we we put great stock in the accuser and we, and we, you know, we let there be investigations. Why does Burko seem to get a little bit more of an easy ride on it? Well, I think, as you say, he's generated a lot of goodwill over the years from various MPs. And also, the other thing that I would say is that we shouldn't forget that he is not the only MP who's been accused of behaving in this way. Um, a lot of MPs have had allegations of bullying levelled against them. Um, and obviously politics, and particularly Westminster politics, is a very high-pressured environment. A lot of these MPs may not have ever managed people before. They're not really given proper training, which is obviously what the part of what the Leadsom-led review is going to examine. Um, but I think possibly other MPs maybe sympathise with his position slightly, if that makes sense, without sort of wanting to say that they don't believe the the accusations. Um, maybe they feel that it could easily be them in a similar position. The thing that gives this... Uh, um the thing that stood out for me and what gives it a bit of a bad smell is the use of a, a non-disclosure agreement. Um, even though they're kind of trying to say that it's not quite a non-disclosure agreement, which is, seems suspicious in itself. Um, but it, that it's public money being used to, to keep somebody quiet, it seems, as well, or was being used to keep somebody quiet. So I think that's... That's yeah. the interesting part of the story, I and think. And I think also what's what was different about this week, why did Number 10 feel it should it speak out now when there have been other allegations before? Um, it, it's, it's Move the news agenda along a little bit, maybe? It, it, well, this is, that's why I was suspicious, yeah. because it sort of shifts a bit of the, the attention onto Burko. That doesn't mean it's not worth pursuing, no, no. but I think in, in, it's unfair to say it, but actually, why did it take um, the testimony of a, a bloke, this Angus Sinclair... For people to sit up and listen and say I was bullied, whereas a woman, KMs, is who is this guy's successor, uh, didn't produce that reaction. It seems quite strange, actually. Um, and now we've got Black Rod, a bloke who's complaining about it, and that's I'd give it because he's senior and it's got lots of weight, and people are standing up and taking notice. That's fine, but it, it still brings us back to the fact that surely. Um, KM should have been listened to in the first place. Yeah. Once is bad enough. If you've got three people saying the same thing, we're back into this pattern of behaviour thing where actually then you do need to think, well, this is worth properly investigating. Absolutely. Um, I'm sure that will rumble on and on and there'll be more attempts to... Uh, I mean, Burke especially was standing down soon, isn't he? Calling to, we could well, have been say a few years ago. But this is the, the other thing that really irritates MPs and you don't have to be a Tory uh, critic of Burke to be really irritated by this. Last year, almost unnoticed... Burko gave an interview to Sky News soon after the general election, the snap election, in which he said regally, look, um, because the Prime Minister's decided to have uh, an extra parliament, a snap election, another five-year parliament, I've decided to abandon my plans to step down in 2018. I'm going to continue through the whole parliament. She's changed her mind. I'm changing mine. Uh, and there's a fixed-term parliament act, and I think, blah, 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 this is going to be five years, so I'm, I'll stick with it. Now, that went against all convention... And he just did it almost as like a like a sort of med medieval monarch, and, <laughs> and it's everything he's supposed to be against, yeah. which is Mr. Democracy, and that's what's irritated some Labour as well as Tory MPs, and I think it doesn't help. The other thing that really irritates people is the way Burko has tried 
nakedly to use the class card as his defense in this. There's an implication that people like, um, you know, Angus Sinclair, the guy you heard on that clip, who's a former Royal Navy man, arrived and got this, was given this job. And, and, there, and basically there was a, a clash of personalities, but also a class clash as well and that that david leakey's black rod again you know somehow is a toff and therefore you know it was it was burko standing up for the workers etc etc unlike michael martin yeah, michael and, Martin, who, the, the the glaswegian sheet worker yeah exactly 15. and this is what's this is what has irritated a lot of people that somehow burko is under the radar tried to say well this is really about me getting rid of those toffs the men in tights that's what it's really about and should be on my side when actually you know, um, it's not it that. About it's, phones it, about. It's, I mean. it's more about his behaviour. Let's move on to In Case You Missed It, featuring this week, Ms. Rachel Wimouth. Hello. Hello, Rachel. How are you? Um, very well, thank you. Good. Yes. Good. How are you? I'm good. Thank you. Finally, <laughs> someone asked. Oh, I'm God. a bit tired. You just want to be loved. I'm sorry to hear that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, apparently there's a lack of money for a youth funding board. Yes. Is that right? I've written that down wrong. No, is that right? No, the youth justice board. That's the one. Sorry, sorry. Poor note <laughs> taken on my um, Right. So we found out this week that um, the funding for this financial year for the youth justice board has not yet been confirmed. Um, for context, the, the local government uh, funding settlement, even though Sajid Javid got his sums wrong twice, has, um, has been confirmed. Um, lots of other... Uh, funding for for other parts of government has been confirmed but this hasn't and it's really important because it funds sort of youth offending teams um and it, it funds youth workers probation workers on the ground workers who will go out and help young people um not get involved in knife crime or gun crime relevant at the minute because of the um soaring murder rate in the capital i think um although this could have changed in the time that we've been speaking um the met is currently investigating 60 murders this year alone um so it's kind of a lot of people are saying it's very much completely out of control um and we don't have funding for youth justice board yet um for context as well since 2010 this funding has been halved so it was like 145 million in 2010 it's down to about 72 million now isn't even that much really in the ground scheme really, is it? it isn't but um what they could do on the ground is important you yeah. know so and it's very strange that it's not going to be confirmed until after the local elections, which doesn't, um, well, it's not going to be confirmed until the end of the week, therefore after the local elections. Have they said that they'll confirm it then? then will they? they said it may be ready then. It may be ready then. Yeah. Okay, well, I'm sure you'll keep an eye on it. Report back to us. Um, you mentioned the local elections there. We are recording this on Thursday when everyone's out voting and looking at pictures of dogs and polling stations, whatever nonsense they get up to. Um, and I guess that we won't make, well, I mean, there's no point talking about it, is there, Paul? We didn't know what was going to happen, do we? There's always talk. You're going to make there's a guess? always point guess. talking about everything. Make a, make a quick you know guess. that. Make a prediction? Yeah. Ah, well, I think from on the ground, the reports, Labour, I'd be amazed if they won Westminster and Wandsworth, but I think they'll win Barnet and that will be a feather in their cap. It will help Corbyn, certainly, to have Thatcher's former backyard. And especially because there's and a lot with of the population. Yeah, there's there, a Jewish so, population. Yeah. And if, if the, you know, they've got a strong uh, Jewish community within the Labour Party up there who are desperate to sort of prove to Jews, look, you know, stick with us. You might not like what's happening nationally, but, you know, stick with us. So I think that will happen. Labour won't win Trafford, I don't think. And I think that it will go to normal control. Dudley is going to be interesting. If, if, if Labour win Dudley, they'll be really delighted. They need to win seats like that. And, um, you know, the Tories think they've got a chance in Dudley. That's a classic 
bellwether seat at, at national level. So one other thing, just watch out for Hillingdon, whether or not in London, you know, if that goes, Boris is in trouble because although John McDonnell is a lot of that constituency, the, the working class bit, um, the word is that they've put a lot of work into turning some Tory bits in the in the Boris bit of that constituency, that uh, council seat. There's, there's the one other interesting thing tomorrow is the West Tyrone um, yes. parliamentary by-election. Uh, by, by I think um, although Sinn Féin are odds on favourite to to retake the seat, it'll be interesting to see what happens with the vote there. Generally, if unionists are really motivated, um, if this, you see a bit of a bounce in Labour's sister party, the SDLP, it'll be. Just an interesting little indicator, I think. Were we right? If you listen to this after Thursday or Friday, you can go on the website now, uk, and tell us where we write. And we'll look where we write. You'll know. Paul, don't laugh at me like that. That was, pro- that was proper like BBC plugging that, wasn't it? That was proper like... It was. Was that good? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Uh, we'll, we'll be... I thought Huffington was banned, that's all. That's no, no, was, no, that's no. That's why no. I was laughing. We are known as Huffington, but website, the website is no, called Huffington. I know, I know. If you're listening, the bods, sort it out. Anyway, um, we'll see you, right, Rachel? Yes. Yeah, yes. good. Right, we'll see you next week then. Bye. Bye. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.